Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Cobra All-You-Can-Eat Mongolian Buffet. It's me, Mark, the host of Talking Joe, which is the leading dedicated resurrected Mongolian warlord podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, today we will be looking at G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue 297, which was released on the 31st of August 2022, just the very week that we are recording. And we have a special guest that we will meet in just a second. But before that, joining me as always, it's a real American Tim. Hello, Mark. And hello, listeners. Uh, now, Tim, before we get right into it, um, I did have some uh, business from the last episode. So uh, last time you, you, I think, weren't so sure about the bat's uh, arm attachments, and in particular, the stacked cup arm attachments. I said laser, you, you were more... I guess uh, insistent that it was a dentist drill or some such. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a it's a drill. It's it's a boring drill for cutting rock. Uh, Iron Ironhide uses a very sharp version of it in like episode two of Transformers back in 1984. Anyway, so I reached out to the Talking Joe Facebook group for for their thoughts, um, and Diana came back with a very sensible suggestion. It, it's a stack of cups. People got a drink, man. Hydration is important on the battlefield. Might as well have the robots carry around a few cups. Ben said, if one of the other bats changed sides and couldn't be shot in the back, then the other bats would be equipped to throw water at them with Dixie cups because robots hate water. And uh, also the Dreadnoughts are known to rock up to college keg parties with a bat equipped with red solo cups and push their way to the front of the beer queue. Uh, we also had some alternative suggestions from the consensus of everybody else saying, it's a laser, you silly Billy. And indeed, the package art to the bat toy says on the front next to the bubble in white lettering, includes backpack with storage for separate laser, torch and gripper. So there we go, Tim. And, and by gripper, you mean claw. Well, Hasbro says gripper. <laughs> well, because he has a hand and he has a Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has a hand. Uh, yeah. I also, listening back to the podcast and, and uh, assembling it all, uh, you talked about the sort of the Cajun dialect from Gung Ho and some of, the, some of his specific dialogue. Uh, but we missed out on the obvious uh, piece of dialogue uh, that, that sort of pointed towards his dialect, which is where he talks about... Uh, I'll say this as it's written, Gris Gris. So uh, Gris Gris, uh, pronounced Gri Gri, is Cajun, which means to curse someone, frequently used in jest. So where he says, Who, that big Marduce sure put the Gri Gri on them robots, is saying that uh, he's put a bit of a hex on the robots with, uh, with the old Marduce. Very good. Uh, so, all that aside, let's meet our special guest. 
I am delighted to have back on the show once more artist Andrew Lee Griffith, who is the very artist of the issue we are talking about today. He is an American comic book artist uh, who is sometimes found in Peru. Andrew is known for his work on Transformers for IDW, but most significantly on G.I. Joe, where he did uh, most of the issues for the Murder by Assassination arc. Issue 286, which was a Storm Shadow spotlight uh, set back in the Vietnam era, and also 290, which was the October Guard spotlight. So it is uh, with delight that I welcome Andrew back on the show again today. I think it's the fourth appearance, technically, after after one appearance uh, as a full-on interview, very guest appearance for our anniversary show with a question for for our quiz, and then also joining us to discuss the anniversary issue. But coming back for the fourth time to discuss issue 297, it is the artist, Andrew Lee Griffiths. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's uh, it's a a pleasure to have you back and uh, it was a lot of fun seeing uh, uh, that you were going to be working on uh, G.I. Joe once more. Was it a uh, was it a surprise to be back so soon? Well, like I'd heard rumblings or rumors here or there, different people working on the book that they were under a lot of pressure to get it done before um, the license ended. So um, I had kind of had a feeling that I might come back for a bit. So they initially asked me to come back to a couple issues, but by the time like this issue was getting wrapped up and like I even like they had to take three pages away because I guess they were getting a lot of pressure to just get everything wrapped up before mm. and because they really wanted to get up to 300 and stuff so I ended up just doing this one issue and they were kind of overlapping different artists on different books I guess to, to get it to work so but yeah I, I just did this one issue I mean as it turned out since then I've been pretty busy with life things and stuff so like it worked out that I probably wouldn't have had time to do another issue anyway, but but I was really glad I got to do one more before it ended. ended. Were there um, illustration jobs or freelance projects that you were working on or about to start when you got this offer, or what, were your decks clear? Well, yeah, I did have um, a former IDW editor that I had worked with is trying to start up like an independent like comic thing, and it had a pretty good. I don't know, a pretty good project with like a high profile writer and stuff on it that I was going to be working on. But that kind of fell apart right around the same time they asked me to jump in on this. So it worked out pretty well. And then I have like a few things where like different people I know want to make their own creator own things to pitch and they're hiring me to do art and stuff. So those things I'm always kind of working on on the side. And but luckily they're very patient and like can work around when I do stuff like this. Um, Mm -hmm. So like it's I don't know, it's it's pretty weird how like for me it's it's kind of always kind of worked out. I mean, I always have seemed to I always seem to have a backlog of commissions I need to get back to, but as far as like regular work like this, it tends to balance out and work out where I you know, like like I lost that other issue, but as it turned out I had I had other things keeping me busy, so but anyway, it's just funny how it works out, like almost like it's meant to be or something. Uh this issue arrived in stores on the thirty first of August, twenty twenty two. When did you get the plot? When did you start drawing um, when did you, how much time did you have? Well, let's see. Um, I do remember I was finishing up the last page that I did at, uh, I did it like, I, I got up to um, TFCon Toronto, which is a Transformer show there. 
And I was there like a day early and I was working on finishing up one page in my hotel room. So that was middle of July. So I probably got the full script, maybe, I don't know, mid mid to late June, something like that. So uh, two, three weeks to work on it? Um, They probably would have given me about a month. But like the thing is, if I search my email for 297, I get so many <laughs> results <laughs> of like you guys contacting me or different pages turned in along the way and stuff. So I'm not sure if it would have been, it might've been like mid, mid June to mid July. I worked on it, something like that. Okay. So let's say four weeks. And that would, that would equate to about a page a day then. Does that sound about right? I, I try to do a page a day and it was probably the thing where like, um, cause I know I had help on three pages. And like I said, they were under such a tight wire that when it came up, I had already been committed to this convention. And I was like, well, you know, should I go? Should I cancel? And they said, well, it's going to be really tight anyway, so we're going to, you know, give those three pages to someone else. So I was like, well, I just, I'm traveling tomorrow, so I can't work on anything. So I'm going to lose that day at least. So, but, um, so that was right around the time I was trying to get wrapped up when I was going to that convention. Yeah. A reminder to our listeners, you know, there are, there are 30 days in a month and a comic is 20 pages, sometimes 22. And so as a fan, you might think, well, that's plenty of time to draw a comic, <laughs> uh, in a month. Um, but in this case, uh, our guest is penciling and inking. And, uh, of course, artists want to take weekends. And if the writer says something like, you know, two page splash of the two super teams fighting in Times Square, that took one moment to write and that would take three days to draw. And then if an artist is going to do a convention, if it's two or three days, they're not going to be working on that. Then, unless they go back to their hotel room, there's the travel day on either end. There's like packing or saying goodbye to family or, you know, you'd sometimes need a day to recover. So I have friends who, when they do conventions, they, they don't lose the weekend. They lose a week. Right. You're traveling there, traveling back. You have to get ready. And there's usually people who want like commissions and things. You have to look for if people are like, oh, do you have this original art? Can you bring it? You have to look for that and things. And Yeah. So it doesn't, it, it usually takes extra days and it's hard to plan ahead for that, you know, cause like I might have a month and I'm like, oh, that's plenty of time to get 20 pages done. And then, you know, you just never know like what page is going to slow you down or you get to a certain thing, you have a question, it takes some time to get an answer back from the editor. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to predict how, how, how the issue is going to go. Mm. Was there any discussion of someone else inking this? Cause yes, we, Okay, because we've seen with the the Shannon Gallant uh, pages, the last couple of issues, there specifically was an anchor to keep things moving along. Right. Um, well, years ago, we had, um, like I was doing a regular Transformers issue month to month for a few years. And like, there's a point where it's just really catching up with me. And we had this big four issue, I guess, like Battle on Cybertron and stuff, tons of characters. And I did... Pencil that and Brian Shearing did for me. You know, of course, you know, from a lot of J.I. Joe stuff, but, um, he did a great job on it. The only thing was for me, the way I work, I find it doesn't save me that much time because if I'm going to pencil for someone else to ink, I, I end up spending so much time like penciling and repenciling and sharpening up lines and shadows and details just so I'm, cause I get very like self-conscious that they're not going to see what I'm, what I'm intending. So I kind of feel like if I'm going to ink, I'm just going to put in those details with the inks anyway. And for me, I don't know. I don't feel like it saves me all that much. But they did ask me a few times if I if I wanted to work with an anchor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I, I, I turned it down. And said I 
I didn't think it saved me that much time the way I worked. And a lot of like shadows and um, background details and scratchings and stuff like I'll do just without any pencils in the first place. I'll just kind of, you know, make that up as I go with inks. Right. And the last time we spoke to you, I think you were still based in Peru. So, so you're you're back in the states at the moment, right? In yeah. Your, in your studio there with your GI Joe shrine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Funny, my wife is down in Peru right now. Her mom's not doing too well, so she's down there with her. But um, but it's more or less we moved back. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in my office, in my house now, and um, it would be fair to say a shrine. Lately, I've been adding a lot of like classified <laughs> stuff to it, and trying to make room for that. So. So the 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 trip to TFCon in Toronto, that was from the West Coast of the States. That was not from Peru. No, East Coast. I'm in Pennsylvania, so. East Coast, excuse me. Okay, so that was a that was sort of a normal, reasonable flight. Yeah, it's like an hour uh, flight. Well, no, actually, okay. I drove up two of the volunteers for the show. I met them at a different show in Pasadena, like, a few months back, and they are like, hey, we're, we live near you. If you ever want to just ride up with us and save, save gas and have company, you know, so we rode up. It was like eight or nine hours, but the company was good. Mm-hmm. We got along well, so we might do that again in a future show. And working from uh, working from your uh, studio, surrounded by all of the the toys, was that a different experience to to your previous um, work on on GI Joe? Because I guess you, you must have some of the the figures that you're actually drawing to hand, like you know the likes of rock and roll, gung ho, so on. Yeah, a bit. It's definitely, it's definitely a bit of that. I I know, like definitely when I worked on. Uh, the 40th anniversary silent, silent interlude issue where we kind of each covered a page. I had a little, I still have my original um, claw and I think my Scarlet. Yeah, I, I got another Scarlet a few years back. It's not my original Scarlet, Scarlet, but anyway, I had a Scarlet on a claw I was using for reference and things and proportions and stuff. So yeah, I definitely have that for reference. And then um, what was I using? There was, oh, definitely um, I was drawing a lot of alley vipers with shields in this issue. And I still have my original Alley Vipers, and by that point, I hadn't gotten a classified one yet, so I was using a lot of my original toys, because, like, those shields, the way they curve and stuff, are kind of hard to get right at different angles. So that was that was handy to have. Were you, while you were drawing this issue, um, since this picks up specifically from events in the last issue, so the interior of the casino and this uh, so tunnel, this access hallway, and Mindbender's lab, presumably you were given a PDF of the previous issue or two. Do you have a sense of what, uh, what issue Shannon Gallant was drawing while you were drawing this issue? Was he drawing the one before the one after? I believe he was finishing up 296. Cause I remember he sent me like rough pencils of the final page of 296 and how I'd have to start 297 and roughly where everybody was and what things looked like and stuff. So I had a, a handful of pencils and a handful of inked pages from 296 to work from for reference. And then the interior of the casino, <coughs> excuse me, I'm trying to remember if that showed up. Was it the issue right before? Because I believe I saw it in color and stuff. I'm trying to remember what issue. Do you guys recall yeah, yeah, where, yeah. Where, where the, the interior, where, where like they go inside the casino, they're outside talking on the comms and stuff, and then they go inside the casino? Yeah, I think the casino has, has appeared a few times over the last few issues, so it's probably it's probably cropped up in, uh, I guess probably seven issues up prior to this point. So that there's probably a few different places you for for the reference of the interiors and the uh, corridors. Like I'll be honest, it gets pretty 
pretty confusing because when I'm working on it, somebody else is already starting on 298 or 299, and I'll get like references for how they're going to do it. Like for example, when when he puts on like the the Viper different Viper pieces of right. clothing and stuff, I think uh, SL was like, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking I'm going to do for him to get some clothes on. This is what we're going to do." So. <laughs> So he sent me rough pencils of like the next issue. So I was looking at previous issues and the next issue, and I, it, in my mind, it gets a little confused about what took place when sometimes. But that's why I just I just follow the script, <laughs> the plot, I guess, in Larry's case, and um, you know, do my best to just make sure my issue is continuous in that way. Yeah, it fits into the bigger picture, I guess. That's in, that's interesting. That yeah, you're you're drawing this Genghis Khan in in outfit first in the in the in the issue itself but then uh sl galant is is actually des- designing it in the neck in the following issue for you to be consistent with yeah yeah it can, um, get, a bit, it can get a bit of a, a confusing at times so. <laughs> um the there was a, there was a couple of characters that, that that cropped up and i wondered whether whether you took draw any particular inspiration uh for them from from real life so it's so like the the genghis khan character did you did, were you thinking of any particular real life figures to you know draw on i honestly was kind of just trying my best to match what um shannon had done what he had done in the pencils he had sent me and then i did mm-hmm. you know google a little bit of like reference for um you know people of that ethnicity that part of the world and stuff just to get like the shape of the face and um, right and that yeah. kind of stuff for a little bit of reference yeah, it's a weird thing too because like when I pencil it, especially like on faces and stuff, like they, they they really look a certain way when I pencil it, and then when I ink it, they kind of look a little different. And then when when they get colored, it looks different again. So it's like it, it's an interesting process of watching it develop. Like when I look at a full PDF now, I'm like, huh, this looks so different than <laughs> I initially imagined it would look. But, but there there were a couple of characters that appear with Cobra Commander in the casino and i and i thought when i was looking at them that perhaps those uh those are some people from uh the real world that you've incorporated into the into the book perhaps the one sitting around the you roulette know, the, table yeah i'm honestly trying to remember where that came from i know i was picturing I'm trying to get to that page there. This is page 13, panel one, the guy the guy with the black hair and the black jacket. I kind mm-hmm. of was picturing him, like, it wasn't anything um, specific. I was kind of picturing him as, like, somebody who was entertainment at the casino, like, you know, like a band passing through and playing at the casino or something, like like an old, like, Grand Ran or something like that. And the, the guy next to him with a hat. Um, it's weird, too, because, like, you know, Kellers can really give someone a different personality. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> it's just so funny how, like, and, and the the dealer or whatever, she she looks entirely different than I was picturing. I was picturing someone of a different ethnicity when I drew her hair. But anyway, um, so the the guy in the hat, I just was thinking like some old timer kind of, I don't know. I didn't really have anything specific. Just like an older guy hanging out at the casino. Just they weren't necessarily meant to be anyone specific. Just kind of whatever oh, came to mind. Yeah. When when I saw that panel, I thought, ah, you've snuck in some of your friends or something. But... No, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also thought when I got to this panel, I said, I said, okay, these don't look like likenesses, but this is definitely someone that Andrew Lee Griffith knows. No, not specifically. Just um, <laughs> I can't I can't say that that's the case. <laughs> 
that, that, that might imply that they have a convincing personality. Though, so that's good. Yeah, not just a, a, sta- a bog standard uh, background person. And it is kind of funny too, like when you travel around the world for these different shows, different conventions, you might be like at a casino casino table or a bar and you're like, you end up like sitting and like talking to people who are like completely different from you, look like people you'd never hang out with, you know? So there is kind of something to that too. I think there's also, I don't know what the psychology is here, but I feel like when I'm watching movies or TV, when I'm reading comics, my brain switches over to stereotypes and archetypes. Sure. Like if, if you know, I'm watching a, a movie with uh, like a police department and the camera pans over to like the holding cell, I'm, I'm sort of expecting a certain visual type, people, attitude, clothing. If I was actually at a jail in various parts of America, there would be a variety of people and many of them would not fit that type. There might be some teenager who'd like run a red light. Um, and so I think when we think of casinos, like we switch over that, that stereotype, like, Oh, it's going to be some old people who are just pumping coins into slot machines. And we have seen a little bit of that. Um, and then, you know, someone might throw in a joke like, Oh, there's going to be a James Bond character, but <laughs> you know, the, like sort of a Durant, did you say sort of a, a rock band? passing through like absolutely right uh so I, I appreciate the the sort of playing against type here and even if it, it ends up not quite being who you pictured because of color it's like, no there's gonna be a great variety of weirdos at the cobra <laughs> island casino you would think so right like you never know what kind of what, what type's gonna pass through you'd have to be somewhat not of you know right sound you know of mind as uh, you might say <laughs> like we have a casino like about i don't know 40 minutes from where i live and i've been seeing signs lately about different bands coming through like like i don't know if you remember like 311 is coming it's different you know different people like that like and it's just it's just so funny how like you know i'm sure at some point they take some time and walk around the casino or I don't think they're that huge of a band that they're going to get recognized and flooded with people, but like, you know, you got to figure they'll probably spend some time at the tables or something. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Were there any, um, in terms of, uh, uh, storytelling or, or fight choreography, uh, or cramming in a lot of characters, were there any particular, uh, challenges to this issue? Not that, not that they're like out of the ordinary, but, Anything noteworthy about this issue? A page, a scene? Well, let me take a look through. Um, that's a good question. And again, you you've done this before, so it's not. I'm trying not to throw you some some softball or a curveball. You're asking if any, anything like those... stands out as far as like um, yeah different action scenes. I do know that um, like the scene where all the vipers in the hallway, like in like a phalanx formation behind the ally the alley vipers, that was sort of a challenge because like I wanted them to be consistent but not identical so i was tempted to mm. kind of like copy and paste some of them in photoshop or something but um i, I don't know i prefer it when it's hand drawn because there are little differences not everybody's the exact same height and in the exact same position and stuff so like the shield camo stands out as being very different on each one yeah yeah because you got to figure there'd be some variety there i mean it was it was for sure a challenge having these action scenes in the beginning with with uh, Genghis Khan here fighting like Stark naked with all these different characters and like picking <laughs> yeah, angles that that would be cleverly uh, uh, obfuscated or whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the it's the standout kind of almost for the issue, uh, as it were. Uh, not pun not intended, but um, that 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 you know you've got several pages there of Genghis Khan fighting in the buff, and uh, each panel you're you're cleverly finding <laughs> some way of uh of you know not not showing uh the the whole of genghis khan uh as it as it were are we getting a are we getting a second first in a row last issue was the first ghost we've seen oh, in a yeah. larry hama issue of gi joe is this the first nude fight scene in a larry hama <laughs> issue of gi joe or issue of gi joe hmm. yeah maybe it is funny how like we did get a few notes back from Hasbro, where they're like, oh, he needs to be covered up more, or, you know, because everything was always covered up, but they're like, can you do it a little more so it's not quite so close to where we'd see something? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we don't want to see the whole of the Mongol horde. Yeah. I, uh, uh, p- page one, uh, I, I don't need to guess which, which panels got that comment uh, <laughs> from Hasbro, but when I open up to page one, I thought, oh, yeah, you'd have some obfuscating green smoke in front of Genghis Khan so we don't see him nude and then I thought that's more smoke than we need I wonder if someone was just being extra careful there that that was a, a, a point where they came back and they said um yeah Hasbro wants more coverage so um James was was uh generous enough to say oh I can just handle it I'll put in some extra smoke and Andrew doesn't have to redraw anything so J- James Brown colorist yes, the yes, issue. yes 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 the uh the scene uh that you refer to before with the vipers and the alley vipers walking in formation did hama provide any photo reference or or any kind of specific reference for, for their formation yeah you no know, he, he's usually like very thorough about sending photos and stuff when i worked on stuff in the past especially like that storm shadow issue he would send folders and folders of what you know what what their bases looked like in vietnam and the equipment they were using and the hueys and um, what typical Vietnam soldiers would be wearing and what state of, you know, wear and tear they'd be in and stuff. But, like, on this issue, I don't remember getting a lot of um, stuff from him. I guess because most reference would have been from recent issues or other issues being worked on. But for that, I just remember it being a description of what he had in mind. Um, mm-hmm. I know someone had asked me about how 50 caliber <laughs> machine gun is getting stopped by these shields and what they're made of, but... I was like, that's a question for Larry. I just draw and <laughs> I don't know how their elbows don't break or something holding them, but like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe it's just supposed to be the angle and getting deflected. Yeah, out. it's the angle. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> so, or maybe just not, maybe en- just enough are getting stopped or deflected that they can keep pushing through. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to no prize this and say that uh, uh, on the, on the, between panels uh, two and four of this scene, the the first row of alley vipers actually drops dead yeah. uh, as the bullets go through the shields, and then it's the row of alley vipers behind them who take up in the front. That's that's my no prize for this. There you go. That can, it's just it's just slightly off panel. You know, we we already had enough dead um, female bats, whatever, at the top there that you don't need to see more mm-hmm. dead bodies littering the column. <laughs> As far as like other action scene things and stuff, I I do know, I don't know. It was a lot of action in this. Getting to, it, it was nice for me getting to work with a lot of like classic characters because in issues I did in the past, it was a lot of newer characters. It was a lot of like hmm. flashback stuff. It, it was nice getting to stuff that was like Doctor Mindbender, and, uh, you know, Frag Viper, different different characters that are like old, feel like old school Jojo to me. Like 
the stuff I grew up with as a kid, visually. Yeah, interesting. It's an interesting point. Uh, yeah, because obviously it was murder by assassination. There was an awful lot of newer characters in in that. That then the the Storm Shadow flashback to to Vietnam, and and then the the last issue being the the October Guard uh, solo without too many GI Joes in 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 that one. So yeah, it's a first opportunity to to draw a lot lot of uh, the the classics, particularly those you know Cobra Legions the. And the uh, the team in the hall uh, from uh, from eighty two eighty three. So uh, yeah, it was fun. Like uh, getting, I don't know. Like whenever I had time or or room to draw in background characters, I could just pretty much draw whatever Viper I felt like drawing. <laughs> so that was that was kind of fun too. Like if, I feel like drawing a Toxin Viper. Some of the action scenes were a little challenging though, the way they get described with like um, you know. Jinx slashing under his foot and then him stomping on her head and all this, like, especially when different people in the background doing different things and then she's crawling in the foreground. Like, pages like that are always a challenge, but but also fun. I hope I hope it worked and the storytelling makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, as you say, as you say that, it, it makes it, it sort of makes sense that that's sort of the challenge of sort of tracking where everyone is in a particular, you know, fight in, a, in this close confines that they're they're each coming at Genghis Khan in in turn and sort of getting defeated and you're trying to figure out where where people are come you know coming from that once they've been downed where where they then are in relation to everyone else yeah a lot of uh geography, geography to keep track exactly. of yeah like physical geography and I kind of had in mind on that scene in uh Civil War where like Winter Soldier breaks out and like everybody takes a turn trying to stop him kind of and uh, you know Black Widow and, and Black Panther and everybody like gets a turn trying to stop him and like Tony Stark without his armor and stuff and like just it kind of reminded me of that so I, I kind of had that in mind as I was drawing it figuring as it out a, as a contrast to the specificity you get for your scenes in this issue from the Larry Hama plot uh Netho Diaz who drew three pages uh his his plot for page 16 reads in the lab Sean and Don are going full thrash ninja against the Cobras. That's it. If the artist is feeling creative, he, she, they can let it all hang out here and show off some spectacular fight choreography and storytelling. Or I can provide three pages of fight layouts. <laughs> it's a hundred times easier for me to sketch out a fight sequence than it is to describe it in words. Note, I can generate the fight layouts overnight if needed, but Netho Diaz got to at least for page 16, I'm not sure about the other two, just make up whatever he wanted. And and he, he chose to do a big splash of Sean and John kicking and shooting and slashing. So uh, That's what I get for saving the three funnest pages for last. Um, I, I did intentionally <laughs> leave those for last because sometimes at the end of an issue, you can feel a bit drained and like, oh, I just want to get this done. But like, I left those because I'm like, oh, I can look forward to getting those done. That's going to be an incentive to keep things moving and just have fun at the end. And then um, they got taken away. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's also a nice thing because it's a kind of a swan song for for Nitho, who who has been so closely associated with with Dawn, and to to have this big action sequence. It's a it's a it's nice so way for him to to bow out of uh, GI Joe. And I also feel like it's a it, it, if you're going to have to have someone come in and fill in a few pages, those make sense because they're kind of their own little scene there. They're own they're mm, all kind of yeah. connected. And, so I mean, it, it did make sense, but I, it just 
<laughs> I was teasing him a little <laughs> on social media, like, all right, that's what I get. <laughs> and then, well, like, for example, I was talking earlier about how um, you never know what page is going to slow you down. The one with the C-130 flying in the interior of that with everybody on the benches and the vehicles and stuff. And, like, that's stuff like that can be very time-consuming, especially when you're trying to do perspective and there's things like, the, the vamp has the angled hood and the, the wolverine has some weird angles on it and stuff. Trying to draw that stuff in perspective can be really challenging at times, especially when you have to have characters sitting off to the side in the right proportion, you know, the right angles. And I think it works pretty well there. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, award that panel most complicated panel of the issue. Mm. I think so. Yeah. I was real happy with how the, uh, the first panel turned out, though, with the sunlight and colors and everything. You should have um, saved this page until last, and then uh, <laughs> someone else someone else could have drawn that. For sure. Or, uh, you know, I mean, you know, no, like, I'm sure it could have backfired, too. It's like the lights are out. Everything's in silhouette. Like, <laughs> flat one-point perspective. Right. Some talking, some talking silhouettes. <laughs> um, I appreciate on the page after that, I very much appreciate on the page after that, as the three Joes who are escaping in the drainage system come out. Uh, at sort of street level and bump into the extraction team. And I'm I'm not sure if that's a great coincidence or if they were trying to aim uh, for running into each other. But in panel one, two, three, four, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not fully technically an over-the-shoulder shot, but it's basically an over-the-shoulder shot from Helix's point of view. And the camera is like two inches off the ground uh, and the horizon's at mid-level as the three... Uh, Joe's with machine guns are coming toward them and behind them is the casino. Mm -hmm. And I very much appreciate just being reminded of what the building looks like, that it is so funny looking, that it's got a funny color scheme. Right. You know, light purple. And that that you situate, that's like, okay, I know how far away from this the, the the, the three member team is that's escaping it. Well, this is, it's funny, this is a page that I was working on my hotel room, and I didn't have my normal, like, setup, and I didn't have, like, an elevated table, so this is probably the page that I felt was least, I don't know, I was least happy with in terms of rendering of the characters and everything, it just, it was a little rushed and stuff, but for that particular panel, it's weird because, like, the, the previous pages that had been drawn that showed where they were outside of the casino, it wasn't flat surfaces, you know, it was like a natural road going up and down uphill downhill a little bit so it's weird when you have to make sure that it's obvious that it's supposed to be going uphill and it's not just going off in a perspective flat background you know so i wanted to make it clear that it went uphill towards where the guys were running up over the hill you know so hopefully Mm. that works yes they are coming up from from behind that that sort of front horizon line right it helps too that you don't quite see their feet and it's not I'm not trying to be Rob Liefeld there. I just <laughs> it, it it helps to seal the impression that they're going over a crest of a hill. If you don't see their feet and lower legs. And... I don't think Mr. Liefeld would have attempted this page this way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, I just noticed, um, and this isn't a, a knock on James at all. The lighting makes sense because it's nighttime. But if you look just at Helix's face in the last panel, she looks very blue. It kind of reminds me of. Um, one of those Star Trek aliens. I forget what they're called. Andorians? Andorians. Andorians. Andorians, yeah. 
Yeah, there's an unmotivated uh, light source on Roadblock's shirt in that panel too. Oh yeah, that that does not match the uh, the bullets hanging from his uh, shoulders. Mm. And if we know anything from reading Devil's Due comics, every single bullet casing should be as bright as the sun. <laughs> Those little magical bullet chains that just hang over the shoulders and they never seem to run out. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, I, I just to go back to a previous point, I, I agree in a, in a larger context, it's nice to have you back for almost a whole issue. Um, it's a bummer that you didn't get to do the whole issue, but getting this other person to do these three pages makes all kinds of sense. Right. And absolutely that it's a contained scene uh, makes it makes it fit well. Uh, and um, Diaz was in a rush. He was working on two other jobs when he drew these three pages. And so partly to save time, but also because why not? It's exciting. The One of the three is a is a splash. Um, but he did not, he, he said on Facebook this week, he didn't pack detail into these pages because he wanted them to match the rest of the issue, which mm. is both, I think, a, a response to a crazy deadline, but also, I think, a, a smart artistic decision. Uh, it's like no one needs to be sort of reminded or convinced that that Diaz can pack a page full of detail. Mm. Um, so, you know, those pages are then inked by uh, Maria Keene, who's been inking the regular issues around this right. and when i got to those three pages i thought like okay this is definitely where diaz picks up but this does agree more with your pages uh than disagree and so i appreciate appreciate that that's interesting to me because like hold on how would i say it like i i felt like my pages have more detail than this this is more like the standard look in the recent issues and stuff and i always thought things and stuff were kind of on a little bit on the simpler side like less detailed and things and i i kind of feel the opposite like i feel like i was putting more detail in but then hmm you know what i guess if i'm comparing his three pages to like issue 249 and 250 where he's he's like going nuts uh and and that that also is a different anchor so yes that's that's a fair response your pages have more detail uh, in in sort of the broad spectrum of more detail, less detail, I do think this issue is in relative agreement with itself. Well, no, I mean, it works. It, it flows pretty well with the rest of the issue. I'm not saying that it doesn't. I just I just thought that was an interesting take. <laughs> yeah, I'm all, I, th I think Diaz, you know, with the look of, as you say, like the 249 or whatever it was, where he's he's sort of, noodling a little bit more with the let the line work and he's got he's got a different colorist um this 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 look to it with the sort of slightly slightly paring back his style having i guess a different inker work over him and also having the consistency of the same colorist um yeah make, makes it makes it flow like with, i feel like this in a way that is genre. fits in really well with like shannon's style on recent books yeah yeah um, Andrew, I bet if you want to draw your own version of these three pages, <laughs> um, some uh, moneyed art collector out there might fall in love with buying the whole issue from you, all 20 pages, including like the three that, that, that never saw print. Well, my regular collector already bought the rest of the issue. He didn't, he didn't say anything <laughs> wow. about that, so... <laughs> I mean, if he, if, he, if he wanted to commission me to draw those three pages so it was complete, I'd, I'd be interested. But... 
Right. He just picked up the whole kit and caboodle sight unseen, was it? Yeah, he don't want to identify the guy or anything, but he pretty much buys he's bought every issue I've done so far, the full interiors. Wow. Wow. And and the page from the fortieth anniversary special? That one I haven't sold. Um I've had a, some people reach out inquiring about it, um, but I've it's something I'd, I'd like to keep for myself because that was something that I always wanted to work on, at least mm. something like that. You know, not not that I knew that that was specifically going to happen, but something like that. Hmm. And sort of this discussion of of uh, sort of versus Shannon's style was making me think about your previous uh, issue that you did, uh, two ninety, which was the October Guard uh, spotlight. Was was that originally going to be? Um, done by Shannon, do you know? It, it, I got the impression that perhaps again it was a uh, you, you stepping in to uh, to to last minute to to make up some time. I think it was just one of the situations where they just needed help real fast, and they asked, "Are you available to start this like today?" And so it probably would have been by him. I think he did the yeah he did the next issue that that was the first uh, the first part of um, mistakes. 290 was the issue that uh, Heather Vaughn was going to draw. Oh, right. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the scheduling, uh, the scheduling didn't work out on her end, but, that's, but, that's but right. in, a, yeah. in a, in a reasonable, you know, there, there's no controversy there. Just the scheduling didn't work out. That was, that's right. No, 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 whatever happened, I'm really glad I got to work on that. I always wanted, <laughs> always, always liked the October Guard. One of the first issues I ever read was, um, that physically got my hands on as a kid was when they were in, was it Kazakhstan or something? And they had like the, the big ATV thing that they were trying to drive uh, uh, something mm. on the back of them. I'm trying to remember the details of the story, but there was like this immense um, double page spread where they were going over like a little off a cliff or something. And they had like a little Jeep full of October guards. And then there was that, the big ATV and there was just, just all this crazy stuff going on. I just always love that. Is that, is that six and seven or is that? Yes. Yeah, I think it'd be six and seven. Yeah. And then they all get it's captured two, at the end. Of the two, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, line them up along the ravine yeah. and execute them. Yeah. I read issue six with that cliffhanger where we're looking into Cobra commanders, uh, the reflection of the Joes. Yes. In his space shield. I read that after I had read issues like 90 and 91 and I was worried for the Joes. It's like, no, no, this has already happened. I'm sure they get out of it. I thought, How are they going to get out of it? They really don't seem like they're going to get out of it. Yep. Larry's always been good at those cliffhangers and things and knowing where to end an issue and how to end it. Um, as a fan, what's your take on Genghis Khan coming, uh, this character showing up here now? Um, I thought it makes sense to have like a big villain come back right before the end, you know, like it just it made total sense to me, like a new Serpentor kind of, you know, and um, I don't know. It, it, I didn't put too much thought into it. It just made sense to me to have a big villain like that come back at the end. And, and uh, yeah. And do you want to, do you want to spec if, if you've got in, insider knowledge, obviously that you don't have to spoil anything, but if you don't, uh, do you want to speculate on, on where things might, might go as uh as we sort of progress over the next couple of issues towards the uh, grand finale? Well, I do know, and I was sworn not to say anything, but I do know how <laughs> how Larry intended to finish up the IDW run. Like, there's a specific scene taking place at the end, and um, I don't know if that's changed. I don't know if that's definitely where it's going to end up, but 
definitely sounds like fun and definitely sounds like it'll leave people wanting more for it to go forward. Somebody told me that he posted on social media that he's writing issue 301 or something, I guess, for a different company, I guess. I, I, that's just what I was told. That's just hearsay. That's nothing. Yeah, at FarleyCon, he mentioned in passing that he was already writing uh, 301 for the new, as yet unannounced, publisher. Okay. So that's, that's good to know that it'll continue. I, I have no idea who the new publisher is using as far as creative talent on any of the Hasbro stuff. And it's kind of funny because no one I've talked to who's worked on it knows anything either. So I'm assuming they're bringing in a lot of new new, new talent. <laughs> trying to, are trying you, to make a mark. Are you for certain not doing anything for 300? Uh, 297 is your swan song for IDW GI Joe. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. <laughs> things could change there is a, a an oversized issue to come so they might might they might still need help who knows i just put out there i'd love to i'd love to chip in on it if i could but I, as of now i haven't heard anything usually i don't hear anything until like they're just sure they need help and they're like hey can you jump in and, and do this that's usually how it works for me except for the um the uh, murder by assassination i have a little bit of lead time on that you know what would be fair? Three pages. Yes, <laughs> yes. In a th- a three pages of, of cool ninja fight in, um, uh, in, in 300. I think it's only fair. Yeah, there you go. Pitch that for me. <laughs> I was going to say, especially if like Sherlock is in it, because then that could be like my last, you know, yeah. my last few pages of the character I helped introduce. Mm. See, I was going to say that I think what would be cool is is if maybe each of the key kind of IDW artists were given like a splash page for the back of the book, kind of, you know, with that splash encapsulating some key moments from the elements that they worked on. So maybe you could do a, you know, a big murder by assassination uh, splash featuring uh, Sherlock to, yeah, to go off, off you're, you're Mark, you're describing what I call the, the Bendis finale approach. <laughs> uh, several times, uh, over Brian Michael Bendis's 15-year run at Marvel Comics when he would get to the final issue or sometimes just a, a big anniversary issue of New Avengers or uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, there would be a series of full-page splashes or double-page splashes drawn by the artists who had done those scenes a year or two or five earlier because Bendis was on these books for five years. And I think that's really cool. However... G.I. Joe, to me, is not a book that uses a lot of splash pages. And even though that's a fun showcase for for the artists, I would rather every artist get to do a page or two of continuity in panels or, while I'm wishlisting, <laughs> a six-page a six page backup. So, you know, in, in, the, in a different version of the 40th anniversary year, IDW publishes more than just a double-sized final issue and a, a silent interlude uh, remake. There are additional issues and, and or hell, 297 and 298 and 299 are also double-sized. And that's how you pack in uh, returning artists to say hello and goodbye one more time. Right. But sure, if, if, if it ends up, if it were to end up being just a sort of pin-up-y splash page in 300, that would also be exciting. It is funny how little like opportunity there's been for big splash pages working on any of these books i mean there's been some big panels and things of like i remember like the october guard going into the 
revenge base and stuff, and like there were some big panels there of action and stuff, but I haven't gotten to do a lot of splash pages in these books, <clears throat> if any. I don't think the in the Marvel run, generally the first page is a splash page. Right. But you know, Hama is so much of a writer and a storyteller and he's thinking like moment to moment and he's not thinking he's not thinking in that you know like 1990 1994 like pre-image image post-image uh mode of like i need to pull in these young kids who just want something like sexy and exciting like oh this page looks awesome the cable's so cool with his big guns or like uh or the artist the artist who's also writing the book, who, whether they're thinking it in the front of their mind or in the back of their mind, like, oh, if I make this page a splash, it'll sell a lot for a lot more money. Uh, right. So I think part of it is that Hama doesn't think that way, write that way. I think also part of it subtly is years ago, G.I. Joe stories were 22 pages. Now they're 20. A little more condensed. Yeah. And whether Hama realizes he's doing it or not, I think everyone uh, who's writing 20 page stories who used to write 22 page stories is is reacting to that somehow mm-hmm. it's it's interesting too because when we did that 40th anniversary silent interlude project we just all got an email like at the same time saying if you want to work on this send us what page you'd like to request and um for some reason i didn't go for like the first page flying in one i didn't know how i could beat that initial image or match it or whatever but the other thing was I figured everyone else would be going for that because it's so rare to get to do a splash page for G.I. Joe. Mm. That just popped in my mind when I was when you were talking about that. But no, you're right, like in the early nineties, huh? How about all those issues with like X Men and X Force where it's just like sometimes there's just full issues if I remember right of splash pages, like every pretty, almost every page is a splash page, or like half a page. But also in the modern era of variant covers, all of the different variant covers in a way they don't feel they don't they sort of, I think they scratch part of the itch for splash pages. I know it's not the same thing. It's not story. And also, you know, issue 275 of G.I. Joe is the sort of response or antidotes to this line of thinking. Because sure. it was it was all splash pages, and Joe had never done that. Yep. Yep, you're uh, right. So it's like suddenly, suddenly G.I. Joe 275 was like Superman 75, Death exactly, of Superman, yeah. which was all splash pages. And uh, that sort of hits the audience in a different way because it's it is sort of harder to tell the story. Yeah, it just makes it's, that issue feel so big. You're right. I don't know how I didn't think of that issue when we were talking about this. But. Uh, okay, I think we're almost reaching the natural conclusion of our discussion around uh, the the issue. There's uh, one thing more I wanted to raise uh, with you, Andrew, which is that you've just produced a new print to be taking to conventions that people can uh, get from you when they see you in person. So uh, do you want to tell us about that? Oh, it's just that I, um, I haven't had a lot of like GI Joe artwork on me at shows and at conventions and stuff. And I don't know. I, I, it's funny. Cause at first I thought I was going to do a snake eye storm shadow one, but it wasn't quite coming along the way I pictured it in my mind. And I was like, Oh, well maybe I'll do like, the two of them and Scarlet, like, in an action pose together. And then I was like, well, why don't I just put it off? I'll have her in an action scene and have the two of them in an action scene. So now we have two different prints in the future. And that's all it really was. It was just something where I just took some time to draw something I felt like drawing, which I rarely get to do. So, um, yeah, I'd like to not always have the, the same prints for sale and introduce new things from time to time. 
How how big how big is it? How much is it? Eleven by <laughs> seventeen. It's uh, I usually sell my prints twenty or two for thirty or ten for each. After that, it's eleven by and seventeen or A three in, in the US. Where will people be able to get hold of it? Is it just an in-person thing? Can people get it remotely, or or do you want to trail your next few convention appearances? I do have a store envy site I could put it up on, but um, I just haven't had a chance yet. But um, if anybody wants to follow my store envy store, it's just Web Studios at Store Envy. Um, I could put it up there. But otherwise, I've I've been just planning to take it to like New York Comic Con and any other shows I do for the rest of the year. Cool. And uh, also this week, uh, I saw on the social media the uh, a commission of yours, a sketch cover shared of yours with uh, Spirit and uh, Grimlock, which looked very cool. Yeah, Spirit Dinosaur Hunter. That was kind of fun. <laughs> they wanted like, a Torak logo. I thought it worked well, and like um, uh, Freedom was like a lore, which is kind of ironic because as I got home, my classified spirit arrived, and I got to take that out. I thought that was a pretty cool figure. I was like that guy. But, you know, it was fun because they wanted it, like, cartoony design, so I got to be a little colorful with it. Didn't didn't have to be too detailed or anything. And these prints you, you have drawn and also colored yourself? Um, the Scarlet one I did. I don't always um, color my own, but it depends on if it's from, like, if it, usually if it's from a book or something, um, if it's like a splash page or a cover from something published, I'll just use that. I always, like, ask the colors if they're okay with it. Um, but there are other times where, um, you know, I'll hire a colorist to do something that way. If I sell it, I don't have to worry that they're going to feel like I took advantage or anything. Mm. But, but anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's so like, if, I usually have a book of prints with me at shows. And if you look through, a lot of them are colored by me, but a lot aren't as well. Cool. So, uh, yeah, if people want to find you, get in contact, badger you for commissions, then uh, I guess the, the place to go is to search google for glove studios and they'll they'll find you right yeah for sure um and like twitter instagram um uh, my um you know my, my gmail like everything's pretty much just glove studios it makes it kind of easy that way i try to keep it consistent cool and have you got anything coming up next that you want to you want to plug well um i'm working on some some stuff for renegade the guys doing the card sets and everything uh-huh right now that's kind of like my most consistent work and then aside from that i'm working on a few original projects one of them is with um john barber the former editor of mm. idw and wrote a lot of the transformer stuff i did so him and i are working on a an original thing we're just about ready to pitch or maybe maybe kickstart or something i'll keep an eye on twitter and uh, see how that that progresses look uh, good good luck with it all Thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm sure um, we'll be pushing it a lot on social media and stuff. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure we get to a point um, where it's excellent. annoying. <laughs> so I think all that remains to be said is uh, thank you very much for joining us once again and, and sharing your thoughts on uh, on the latest uh, issue. And I hope uh, everyone uh, enjoyed it as much as uh, we did. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again, uh, Andrew. Well, thank, thank you, Andrew. We're finishing up just, just as my voice is starting to normalise a little bit. <laughs> not, not as hoarse as it was when it started but yeah thanks for having me back and like i hope there will be opportunities for in the future i don't know what's going on with the new publisher but i'd love to keep working on joe in some way or another now back to gi joe so yeah great to, great to have andrew back again great to have him back on the show 
So looking into the detail of issue 297, it comes from writer Larry Hammer, artist Andrew Lee Griffith and Nitho Diaz with inks by Andrew Lee Griffith for his own pages and Maria Keane for Nitho Diaz's pages. Uh, Colours as always by Jay Brown, letters Neil Utucky, editor Riley Farmer, Group Editor Tom Waltz and Research Specialist Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Cover A is drawn by uh, S.L. Gallant and coloured by Jay Brown. And in the foreground on the left, in a green glass tube of liquid and air bubbles, is a bald, anonymous, shadowed out uh, male figure. We see head, neck, and and two hands, and the fingers are touching the insides of this glass case. And this mystery person who uh, some issues ago when we first saw the cover or had the early inkling of this story, we are led to believe that this is either Serpentor almost ready to be hatched or uh, uh, maybe a Snake Eyes clone or both in the middle ground, Scarlet, uh, in a great sort of surprise attack, turning around and seeing something behind her pose with her weapon drawn, her crossbow, is looking back at this mystery figure and her mouth is open. And then uh, behind her are some uh, uh, blue computer screens uh, and Gallant uh, has slightly crisscrossed the cover, both on the bottom, on the very top, behind the logo, and in the middle ground and background with some black uh, power cables, which is a, a detail I think you noticed last, but uh, does a nice job in adding depth to the picture and also um, what I would call finger quotes, some business, you know, some some bits, some stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that this isn't a clean uh, computer lab. Cover B uh, is the second of a set of interlocking covers drawn by Jamie Sullivan and colored by... Raul Angulo and Audrey Sullivan. And this is every Cobra character uh, with some Cobra vehicles behind them. Uh, So this one, uh, there are some favorite characters like Slice and Dice and Major Blood and Night Creeper and Firefly uh, in the foreground. Uh, There are some uh, lesser appearing characters like uh, the Headhunters. And uh, help me out, who's... So I know the... All right, so the, the Nitro Vipers are in the center in the back row, right? They're in light, light gray. They have red masks, and they drive the Hiss 2. Remind me who that recolor of the Nitro Viper is on the left, who's in sort of gray and red and has a, a white or silver mask. Did this person drive the, um, what's that later Cobra vehicle that uses the Rolling Thunder wheels? The, so it's the one on the top left is a Nitro Viper that came with the Detonator. Oh, and he's, is he still named Nitro Viper? And the the one in the middle is a Track Viper. Oh, okay, right. I'm getting I'm getting mixed. Thank you. I'm getting uh, mixed. Same up. mold, I think. Yes. All right. So Track Viper drove the Hiss two. Came first. Light gray, red, red face. The Nitro Viper is the recolor. Thank you. Drove the Detonator. Uh, and then who's, remind me, who's on either side of the Nitro Viper? Uh, I think this is the, called the Cyber Viper, isn't it? Oh, yeah, from Mega uh, Mega Marines. Mm, yeah, that era. Who we have never seen in the comic. Who we've never seen in the Marvel comic. Ooh, 
did they appear in Slam Dunk in the Cyber Castle around that era? Or I I I do not know to be honest without um, double checking. So the the Marvel the uh, Marvel bullpens checklist that that page in every Marvel comic in the eighties and nineties that had like editorial updates and sometimes a, a fluffy column from Stan Lee. Uh, and then a checklist of every Marvel book that was coming out that month or sometimes mm-hmm. that week. When the Star Brigade issues were being published uh, by uh, Larry Hama and Phil Gozier, earlier in the sort of catalog solicitation cycle, and I think on the Marvel bullpen bulletins page, the Mega Marines were going to show up. And either the schedule of the toy actually did, ended up not matching or Hama changed his mind or something. But I am having not having not looked at the final year of Hasbro GI, uh, excuse me, Marvel GI Joe in, in a little bit. I am 99% certain, 99.5% certain <laughs> that those two, like the Monster Viper and the, the Bio Viper and the Cyber Viper uh, and uh, Clutch in his weird Fisher-Price neon orange uh, costume they never showed up in the in the marvel gi genre no he did it he did appear he did he did i'm just did? flicking i'm just flicking um flicking through <laughs> is there oh, an right. andrew Wild- slam, is, slam is dunk there... in the cyber castle what uh, issue is that that is ooh. 150 huh cool uh i guess i guess it does make sense i mean they were new toys and the comic book was supposed to feature uh, the new toys uh, are they are I don't have my issue 150 in front of me are they, are they in the background or are they doing something is snake eyes is snake eyes shooting them and slashing them <laughs> yeah they I remember a lot uh, of that in that issue the, it, he's, he's sort of a commander in one of in a one of the new cobra vehicles with some gaudy looking vipers which are probably like viper number three or something hmm. um yeah <laughs> Without want to editorialize um, a fairly horrible looking Cobra vehicle of that era. <laughs> well, I stand corrected. Um, all right, so two two last comments uh, on this cover. You asked our Facebook group who this middle Night Creeper is, mm. and what did people say? People said to me that he, yeah, he's he's a little bit. He's, I I think he's probably the most ob- obscure character on on the cover he is incision from the cobra plague team so that is aleph the night creeper leader who originally appeared in in ARA, um who has a change of look and a change of name and, and he only appeared towards the back end of the devil's Jew era uh, of comics is that a sorry that you just referred to a, a toy set of figures no, the Cobra Plague team um, was a, as far as I know, a comics-only team. Oh, okay. Uh, hmm. So in, in our reread of the Devil's Due issues in our other episodes of Talking Joe, we haven't gotten there yet. So Exactly, yeah. I have not met this guy. Who's the lady with the blonde hair and the blue jumpsuit behind Big Boa and um, Major Blood? Was oh, that Dr. Biggles-Jones? No, Big- Biggles-Jones has brown hair. And a white lab coat, of course. Tim, exactly. of course. B- Biggles Jones is the is the weapons inventor who did the railgun and the Transformers crossover and stuff. This is Dr. Cassandra Knox, who appeared in the issue Shadow of the Bat, 
where she invented a new bat which uh, terrorised uh, right. Scarlet in a non-Larry Hammer written issue. The thing I like about this uh, cover is that it is it is exemplified in the two track vipers in the in the center of the cover. One is a very big person, and one is a slimmer person. And uh, it's great to see that where you have a legion, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of a particular kind of sort of anonymous soldier or viper, uh, you'd have some that are a little taller, a little shorter, a little bigger. Mm. And and some of them are looking at each other, right? The two saw vipers are are looking at each other. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there is there is uh, there's a nice amount of variety in terms of not just having everyone stand as if they are at attention or as if they are sort of like getting a solo pinup by themselves with no background. You know, there's a lot of personality in how Firefly is hunching and he's holding something and Copperhead is leaning forward and Slice and Dice are certainly leaning forward. You know, one of the red ninja vipers uh, is resting his sword on his shoulder the way that I do when I'm standing around <laughs> with, with a baseball bat. The thing that, that strikes me most about this cover is is how much it's framed as an individual cover as well as being part of a overall five-part cover mm-hmm. that you've got slice and dice down in the bottom left hand and right hand corners really creating a, a frame for the piece with major blood being right in the middle and, and being the sort of the central focus so not suffering from the some of the issues that that we ha- we've seen from other combined covers where where maybe it doesn't feel quite of a piece on on its own as well as being part of a, a wider thing um yeah. i also yeah the this, each one of these covers has a kind of theme to it so the last one was like dreadnoughts i think this one is kind of i'd call cobra misfits <laughs> like a lot of the cobras that maybe don't necessarily fit in particularly well with uh with other sub sub teams and then all all these covers it's just a bunch of vipers in the back right mm-hmm. yeah 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 and uh, and I was I was sort of struck as well by the sort of the style. Like, sort of, a lot of the characters look quite sort of gangly almost, and sort of almost Paul Popish. Um, it was an uh, interesting take that's been taken on some of these. Yeah, um, Sullivan is. I really like the inking. There is considering how small and uh, detailed everyone is. There are sort of relatively, there are a lot of thick lines. I mean, they're not thick compared to a character that's drawn sort of full figure much closer in like a pinup, you know, like the, like there are some lines, the, the next cover that I'll talk about, the retailer and center cover on the bottom left, there are some actual thick lines, but there's, there's a lot of variety here. And Sullivan's doing a little bit of spotting of blacks. Big Bo is knee, Copperhead's thigh uh slice and dice you know they're leaning forward and there are little bits of black shadow on them and this is this is a really fun cover retail incentive all right so what what you wouldn't call cover c right so uh, comic book retailers stores could order one of these for every 10 copies combined of a and or b uh this is drawn by john royal and jagish kumar and colored by james o'frady and it is big boa bursting through a wall at us and we rarely see this in the idw gi joe graphic design layout universe but there is stuff in front of the logo mm. there's debris in front of the logo so I grateful for that pleased. 
uh, I, I don't want to say <laughs> I'll get it wrong. Uh, is this Big Boa's first appearance in uh, Hama's uh, Real American Hero? Um, uh, he was on the cover. He was on the Jamie Sullivan cover last last month. Was he on 296B? No, it's this one. It's, it was uh, the one that we were just looking at. Oh, yes, of course. I, I just referred <laughs> to him. Um, it's it's so, certainly, I think, his first solo spotlight yes, cover. Yes. Um, he, he is in an issue or two of The Devil's Do Run. Uh, he does not appear in any real uh, real american hero story uh, mm. written by larry hama yeah curious uh, i don't yeah i think you're right i don't think he has appeared in um any larry Hara, hammer scripted books i um and uh there's a there's a tiny addition here he has a cobra logo tattoo on his shoulder mm. uh which is not on the figure uh and it sort of sort of matches uh parallels the white cobra logo on his boxing glove um Three things that I notice about this. One, uh, he's got a, a backpack thing mm. or a like a bomb strapped to his back. Or, uh, you know, artists sometimes carry around like those uh, clear plastic or black sort of plastic poster tubes that they can mm-hmm. have art rolled up in. Or like if mm-hmm. your friend is an architect and rides a bike, that's how they get their plans around. Uh, there's a little canister thing that's stuck to his back and i don't think that that doesn't correspond to anything in the action figure so no maybe maybe it's some um, a thought process from royal that he's got this breathing tube on his helmet that doesn't really go anywhere mm. maybe he's thinking yep you know if it's like a special breathing tube you'd need like an oxygen tank or something so let's stick it on I, his back i don't mind it 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 starts to ask a question because i feel like there should be two of them like torpedoes tiny gas tank oxygen tank backpack uh but where his head is here big boa's head we're not allowed to see if there is a second one but anyway so that's one thing that stands out uh two um the the spikes on his um bandolier suspenders um are aiming in opposite directions from each other they're not they're not just sort of geometric conical like a cone spikes they're 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 like Hershey's Kisses, and they go to the <laughs> left or to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a fun little flourish, um, and this is really unusual uh, for a modern uh, GI Joe cover. The coloring in the background is is hard edge and graphical. It is a yellow and orange and red burst that I think is supposed to recall all the package art from the mm. 1980s toys, the the Hector Garrido explosion. But it's not that kind of explosion. It's actually, you were referring to Slam Dance in the Cyber Castle, issue 150 of G.I. Joe, right? That has a similar treatment where there's a sort of light and then it gets to red with black lines making a a traditional sort of comic book inkers like effect burst like da da um so this big boa cover is subtly referring to gi joe package art from the 80s um but also uh just a different graphical uh color treatment mm, with no with no fade on the color as well it is distinct yeah uh, it's it's color. it's not a yes it's not um there's no gradation uh it's not painterly it is just sort of triangular thin lines like like an inker would do with a brush or a pen and and john john royal often shares his kind of work in progress uh, art on online and so so i've seen 
the black and white for this and um, sort of just flicking between the black and white and the color sort of it, it's striking how much, uh, you know, as great as John John's work is on its own, how much adding in the color sort of elevates it and makes it pop. It, it's not a case of, yeah, sort of the, the color just being a functional thing that has to happen. It, it sort of is definitely part of the package of, of really, you know, selling, uh, selling this, his, his work. I sometimes complain about color in comics or in G.I. Joe comics, and there's something happening on this cover that I like a lot, which is this yellow um, highlight on the top of everything that is Big Boa, on the top of his higher boxing glove, his shoulder, the top of his helmet, the left, his right, our left side of his helmet, that shoulder going past the Cobra tattoo, and then his forearm and the glove that's closer. There's this yellow, it's not a halo because it's actually on him. There's a, there's mm. an arc light. There's a rim light um, on him. And James O'Frady makes the decision to not also put that yellow highlight on any of the debris. So the debris isn't sort of physically agreeing with the light source, but that might be too much. That might be too busy, uh, too distracting. You know, we're supposed to sort of see the debris and sort of not see it, sort of see past it, see through it. Um, but the the color on Big Boa here is great. Wonderful. And then just rounding the package out, we've got an online exclusive cover, which is the third part of the triptych cover from Dave Johnson, uh, this time with Serpentor on the front, uh, Baroness, the, the right half of Mindbender, unfortunately being cut in two, the, we finally see Cobra Commander, whose cloak is framing the other two issues. And there's also a Cobra Trooper in there. I think we've probably talked enough about the, the covers not to linger on this too much. Looks great, but I think, yeah, does suffer from being part three of a three-part cover on its own. Something that uh, Dave Johnson is is amazing at. He's not just an illustrator. He's a designer. And so he's not just drawing with line, he's drawing, he's composing with shape, mm. right? So Serpentor, who is also knocked out in a color, he's all purple, he makes a big shape on the top, right? And then Johnson will use geometry, actual geometry, right? It's not that Baroness is in front of some portal or window, she's just in front of a geometric shape, she's just in front of a circle, and it's knocked, it's knocked back in flat red, so she pops, right? And then uh, this... Cobra Commander cape blue thing. Dave Johnson works in shape. Uh, he he sort of inks in shape, like where his shadows go, his his characters, in a way that you know. If 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 you're wondering sort of what I mean by like design and shape and geometry, just to pick uh, like two contrasting examples. When I think of Jim Lee drawing Batman and Justice League, when I think of David Finch drawing. Batman or going back a ways, Cyberforce. I'm thinking very much of line. They're they're drawing shapes, you know, they're drawing like anatomy and people and buildings and the Batmobile. But when I when I squint at a Jim Lee cover or a, a David Finch cover, I don't think of like five or six or ten geometric shapes. And I do when I look at Dave Johnson's work. Very good. Let's find out what actually happens on the inside of this issue with a recap of the plot breakdown. 
In Dr. Mindbender's lab on Cobra Island, Genghis Khan has been freed from his gestation tube. The Joes open fire on the Mongolian naked guy. Khan evades their bullets and arms himself with an Ali Viper shield and Night Creeper sword. He is able to take down Throwdown, Headstop Jinx, Headbutt Helix, and Backhand Dawn. Donning Dr. Mindbender's cape, a Viper's vest, and Ali Viper pants, Khan delivers a rousing speech to the troops. Meanwhile, the second team of Joes in the utility corridor are forced back by a phalanx of Ali Vipers who are protected by shields, and they retreat onto the casino floor, waving to Cobra Commander as they pass him by. Scarlet's team, still forgetting about the exit via the kitchen, make an escape through the drainage system, meeting up with the second team outside the base. Sean and Dawn cover Scarlet's escape, laying down the hurt on a Viper team before Genghis Khan intervenes, threatening to blow them up, resulting in a tense standoff, which is to be continued. So Tim, what was your big reaction to this one? I liked it. I don't I don't know what I was expecting because um I saw part of your email to our guest for this episode <laughs> where you said you described this issue as absolutely bonkers or totally bonkers yeah. or outrageously <laughs> bonkers or bonkerifically outrageous. <laughs> um, and so I thought, oh, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, Genghis Khan is in this issue, so I guess it'll be different than some other issues. I Here are some things that I liked about this issue. I liked that various Cobra and Joe characters keep pointing out the incongruities of a resurrected Genghis Khan appearing in the modern day and completely having his faculties about him, that he's buff, that he can somersault and flip, that he speaks English, <laughs> that he knows what a grenade is and how to use it. So I, that feels very Larry Hama, right? Like, I mean, even on the first page, you know, uh, Don says, somehow I didn't think he'd be that buff. I like that, uh, as you just referred to, Genghis Khan in two steps dresses himself in Cobra attire. And because it's it slightly recalls Serpentor dressing himself in issue, is it the end of 49? You know, because in mm, yeah. 49... Uh, I, sorry, I haven't looked at 4950 in a while, but I am always thinking of the Mike Zek Serpentor pinup from, I forget if it's yearbook three or four, mm. but there's this sort of in-between costume that Serpentor has in the Marvel comics where he's got no shirt and like orange pants. And that is not his costume <laughs> in the toy or uh, the, the TV show. Uh, so for Genghis Khan to sort of not you know, there's a different version of this where, like, Mindbender is like, I I present you here with attire similar to what you died in, sir. Mm -hmm. Or uh, so a, a specifically new tailored cobra costume that is half cobra and half what you might have worn. Like, you know, there's like a like a helmet that isn't anyway <laughs> yeah it's it's just like instead the the first part of it is grabbing the cape from dr member mindbender ha give me that cape yoink yeah and he just grabs uh, grabs mindbender's cape and he's which, like what which may or may not be emasculating to mindbender but i think it does speak to this idea that mindbender's creation is out of his control 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and James Cavanaugh, if you're listening, I fully expect you to appear <laughs> at a future G.I. Joe convention in this precise cosplay. And I'm looking for the clothes black... costume, please, James. Yes, a great black wig. And I'd like I'd like some <laughs> facial hair. Oh, that's throwing down the gauntlet. Love the it. podcast that launched a thousand action figure customs. I like that the Alley Vipers are doing an Alley Viper thing. And I like that Nitho Diaz draws this issue uh, with less detail. And he, he said on Facebook, I had such a tight deadline and the script gave me liberty to create mostly the scenes. So I had to do a splash page, obviously. I tried to not crosshatch too much to make it look more similar to Andrew's pages. And then we can talk about this in a moment. He and Hama have a, a little exchange on Facebook, which is neat. I think I think there's good movement and fight choreography and dialogue and checking back in with different characters. Mm-hmm. I don't like that there's no letters page. Mm. Tom Waltz, boo. <laughs> it, it's time. It is Tom Waltz and uh, Riley pa- uh, Farmer. It is it is time to do. I'm sorry. Please stay up two hours late and. It's the book's about to end. I need to hear from some fellow fans in the letters page. Mm. My my sort of high level response, and it's almost a surprising response to me, was that that I enjoyed it and it, I just thought it was wild and it's you know, it's it's crazy, but but sort of I'm just you know going going with the the whole roller coaster uh, ride that that we're on. I can I can see that maybe some people not appreciating this 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 issue. The people who enjoy the kind of the more Real, realistic military aspects of of GI Joe, which you know this, I think it's fair to say is not. But but uh, there's there's a lot of joy to be <laughs> had there, and the the dialogue in this issue is just hilarious. Larry has always got just this great ear for 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 dialogue, and there's almost like just out and out comedy in in moments. So um, Dawn says, "So what are we going to do?" Gun down an unarmed naked guy? Scarlet replies, I'm making a command decision here. That unarmed naked guy is just an animated corpse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we get we get a um we get let's let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six pages, six pages of a naked, uh, obstructed Genghis Khan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sort of giving the Joes a, 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 <laughs> a run for the money in the in the buff, and it sort of reminded me a little bit of um, Austin Powers, the fruit basket scene where um, he's he sort of you know got out of bed in in the in the nude and uh, sort of various um, things are sort of being passed in front of the screen just to to block out um, the the viewer seeing. Uh, a full frontal uh, shot, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's handled well and uh, in a variety of different ways with shadow and things blocking uh, blocking out the uh, the coverage and so on. <laughs> there is uh, th- this had me s- slightly thinking back to the Jim Lee X Men run in 1991, not Uncanny X Men, adjectiveless X Men. I think there's a scene around issue six where uh psylocke is taking a shower and maybe that's maybe it is uncanny and um and there's 
very, very narrow, conveniently sort of wisping around uh, steam so that you don't see her fully naked. Uh, and this also sort of had me thinking of the phenomenon in the last five or ten years where uh, Nightwing in DC Comics, right, Dick Grayson, um, artists will sometimes on their own or because the writer sort of gives them the opportunity will show off his butt. <laughs> right. Um, sort of in costume because, you know, he's he's a circus performer. He's an acrobat. Uh, but also, you know, all these superhero costumes are are tight uh, and then sometimes maybe he's like taking a shower or at the beach or something. And it's it's a little more um, on the on the nose. So uh, I had a good a good suggestion from on Facebook from Yorktown Joe, who said we maybe we've got a new colloquial equivalent for the cat is out of the bag. You know, a secret is revealed. Uh, we should now say uh, the Genghis is out of the tank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the 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 con is out of the tube <laughs> exactly um i also liked uh going back to this idea that each of the joes takes a swing at genghis khan i like that he is superior to them and uh he he fends them off and there's there's bravado jinx says there are more there are more of us where he came from right and and um helix who I guess is sort of the most hot-headed or maybe Dawn because she's the youngest, right? But, you know, Helix says, oh, yeah, you can take your honorable and shove it, right? Brap! Um, but, you know, she she gets headbutted. And, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just a bloody, a, a bloody nose or maybe her nose is broken. But sometimes the Joes seem invincible because they, you know, take down, you know, 50, 100 issues ago, it's really difficult for them to take down a, a blue ninja. And then 10 or 20 issues later, it's hard. And then 10 or 20 issues later, it's they say it's hard, but it doesn't look hard. And then, you know, five issues ago, um, it happens pretty quickly. They, you know, they just shoot them, shoot them in the eyes. And uh, here, this, this guy knocks them back, swats them back mm. uh, quickly and with, you know, panache. I'm not looking for, you know, Joes to get like shot or killed, but, you know, I, I want them to be put through their paces and I want them to uh, struggle with adversity. And and uh, and this bit where Scarlet sends two of them away and then Dawn says, no, you lead the two. We'll stay or I'll stay. Stakes, stakes. I'm always looking for stakes. Mm. Like, you know, this Tom is not about to kill Scarlet. Or like have her captured and thrown in the Braveway scanner. But I'm a little worried that the team's getting split up here. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little worried when the extraction team meets the three Joes coming out of the sewer, Helix, Scarlet, Jenks, and Roadblock says, Where's Sean and Dawn? Mm. It's like, oh no. It's like, well, I, I mean, I, there's some version of next issue or the next issue or 300. I think. I think someone's going to get strapped into the the cloning machine or the Braveway scanner. I don't know if it's Dawn or Snake Eyes or Mindbender or Genghis Khan. I don't know if they're going to immediately get pulled out or the thing will get shot or it'll actually get turned on and, you know, something will happen. Someone's memories will go to someone else. Someone will get cloned. But, you know, Hama is specifically separating the team. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're we're kind of left at the end of the issue with a separated team. Sean and Dawn are on their own, back with the rest of the the Cobras, and away from the rest of the the Joes. And and 
you know, talking to, you know, our speculation on what might happen in this arc and also Dr. Mindbender's plot to, to clone Snake Eyes. Yeah, we're left in, we're in a situation now where that seems like a, a very real possibility that, that we've got Sean and Dawn in the room with the Cobras and the machinery to uh, to to do any number of things in terms of transferring their memories and and uh, uh, into into any number of different places. Yeah, yeah. You also sort of talked about the sort of stakes and it sort of we've we've had the these these characters, Dawn, Helix, Jinx, Sean, established as you know phenomenal fighters and somewhat undefeatable and and particularly uh, Dawn and Sean. Um, you know, we've had the instances of them plowing through the the train in I think it's two ninety one, and and being released released the Sean in in a couple of issues earlier. So it's you know almost almost sort of super powered in terms of their abilities. So uh, somewhat humbling for them to to be defeated so easily by um by Khan, and uh, him he throws quite a lot of sh- shade there on on Sean. Which uh, maybe some of the uh, uh, fake eyes haters uh, might appreciate, where where he says, "Not a, not a warrior born, but at best a skilled pretender." That 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 line is one of those um, truncations in writing that I think goes too far, but I'm actually okay with this sort of shorthand where the resurrected Genghis Khan has been alive for like one minute. Mm-hmm. And he has exchanged one blow with this man in black. And he knows that this guy is some kind of pretender. You know, like you can imagine in a in a kung fu movie, in a in a boxing movie, you know, like the character the the, the character who's a tactical genius, the villain you love to hate. You can imagine them trading a few blows and sort of at the end of a fight scene, at the end of a match about saying like you are not who you say you are. You are just a pretender, you know, like little boy, you know, <laughs> go back to your master. And so like, I don't really think that Genghis Khan would know this quickly that Sean sort of isn't the real snake eyes, but I'm okay with it because to some extent, a lot of comics, you know, is a shorthand and we only have 20 pages. And also, you know, Mindbender seems to have imprinted a lot of things onto the protoplasm matrix or whatever the term is uh so sure why not all of cobra's intel on all the joes you know happening off panel and um while we're talking about khan still um we've got to talk about uh some some gi joe fashion and specifically the emperor's new clothes Armani, Prada, Versace too. Joe's changed their outfits from black to blue. Duke and Hawk, look, but don't gawk. Changing their kit. Whoa, is that legit? Swapping camo jackets, headgear and boots. It's now neon colours and funky space suits. Sci-fi stalker and even Roblox. While Bill, Flint and Muck gave me a shot. So go take a walk if clothes aren't your passion. Because it's comic book talk and lovely G.I. Joe fashion. So, so <laughs> typically for an emperor's new clothes, he is in the buff initially, but... Uh, then um, he dons some Ali Viper trousers, as we would say over here in the UK. A it looks like a Viper's vest, but it's red as opposed to the black that most of the Vipers are wearing in this issue. So a, a Viper's red vest, which is is um, uh, at least a canonical uh, with uh, some later versions of the toy, 
and uh, Dr. Mindbender's cloak. It's a bit of a, a jarring look in terms of the, that colour combination, but um, functional. Uh, and also sort of topped off uh, points with a uh, Night Creeper curved sword and an Alley Viper shield. What do you think, Tim? And I, I, I missed this the first time. But um, besides using Mindbender's cape as sort of a towel around his waist, there is a panel where a viper puts it on him like a cape. I think the I think the color scheme is is terrible, <laughs> yeah. which is why I think it's so funny. Yeah, you know, like I think I think Serpentor wearing the, the sort of the weird wispy cape with the two strands that come down in the front and no shirt and the orange pants in issue forty nine. I've always disliked that. I think it looks terrible, but. <laughs> It's sort of softened because the color isn't saturated because it's like old comic mm, yeah, printing yeah. on newsprint and Rod Wiggum's artwork is, you know, crisp. And in my mind, I'm sort of just pretending that he's wearing the proper costume from the action figure in all of 49 and 50. But so as as I think an inadvertent callback to that, I'm okay with this. And considering how carefully Mindbender planned this, I like I feel like the clothing that it's piecemeal and then also that the colors are terrible uh, <laughs> is is a funny comment on how this is going sideways quickly, right? And and uh, Laura whispers to Mindbender, already having second thoughts, let loose upon the world with an army, he could be disastrous. I had thought I had programmed enough safeguards into him to keep him under control, but is that really possible? A lot happens in this issue, and I feel like it sort of makes up for those two issues where your main comment and my sort of secondary comment was like one issue's worth of stuff happened in two issues. And also this this issue's good, sort of, I'm using this term in a specific way, closure, or maybe the word is a, a follow through on the last issue, where we have this flashback to Genghis Khan mm-hmm. in his original era, and it's unusual and pretty long considering the rest of the issue but maybe without that this issue what's the big deal with this guy he's he's a big deal because i guess mindbender is sort of telling Mm, us that he mm, is but mm. um you know some track was lane laid we yeah we've we've seen we've seen that he was a big deal with it with our own eyes and also we saw his death as well so so when when he's talking at the end about you know his threat of a suicide bombing and uh and saying i was dead for 800 years before i was revived do you think i'm afraid to return to the good sleep well you know that's maybe not just some idle threat that um you know he was dead he was a shown as a ghosty as well and um so so maybe the idea of of no longer being alive is not as as scary a thing to him as it might be for someone else I don't know how I feel about his final bit of dialogue there. This this page feels different for Hama and a cliffhanger. I think part of what part of what I'm reacting to is um, the final page. The 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 actual, I like the drawings. The layouts are uh, a, a little uh, a little less exciting than I'd prefer. You know, there's sort of no backgrounds and. But, you know, the cross-cutting makes sense. We see her, we see him, we see him, we see them. But this this final page, I want to believe Hama that Genghis Khan is willing to kill himself 
to take down these these two adversaries. But at the same time, he's been alive again for like seven minutes. Like, are, I'm not sure that I'm convinced that he. I think I'm calling his bluff. <laughs> and, you know, I think Hama gets to this page and maybe has an idea what the first page of the next issue is. Or maybe not. And also, if Andrew Lee Griffith is drawing this issue while the next issue is being drawn or there's some overlap, you know, Hama's writing two issues much more close, uh, closer together than normal or maybe sort of overlapping. Yeah. And the and the approach as well is that the, you know, his it's plot, art, dialogue. So so at the point that, that Hammer would be doing the dialogue, he's already done the plots and a good chunk of the art has, for the next issue has been done as as well. So, yeah, sequencing might be a little bit different to normal. So and I, I'm looking at this final page and I'm thinking whether or not this is a bluff, I feel like the next page like skips ahead 10, the, the first page of the next issue skips ahead 10 seconds. Sean and Don are like up in the air, jumping and slashing. And the like grenade has been like hurled across the room and sort of the fight has actually already begun. And I feel like we're going to very quickly move past this bit where the grenade's like actually going to kill one of these three main characters and this sacrifice is going to happen. You know, it's like similarly this, I don't think this would happen, but it's like, you know, is the first page of the next issue Sean or Don having just thrown a throwing star or a sword or a dagger and Genghis Khan's, it's like nicking his arm, you know, and he's like dropping the grenade. Like, I think this standoff gets diffused and sort of like unwritten immediately. Hmm. I think, I think this, this is a, a plot contrivance that means that it's a way of slowing things down, stopping the conflict such that, that Sean and Dawn stand down to enable then the next bit of the plot to happen. And I know that Larry says he doesn't write, you know, plot, it's, it's all character, but I, th- I think, you know, the through line is that we need to get one or two of these characters into the brainwave scanner. Uh, and this is the way that's going to happen. Hmm. What, well, next i had um just an observation about scarlet's dialogue to dawn as the sort of teen is is separating she says you and sean are all that i have left of the snake eyes that i remember so make sure to bail before it's too late Uh, which i thought came across as a little bit cold it's almost like saying you have no value to me apart from reminders of the real snake eyes oh i thought of it more as um uh Maybe I was misreading it, but like sort of the opposite. Like whatever happens, you have to get out of here. Yes. I think that is it, but but it's it's just almost implying, you know, it's not because you're my friends and I care care deeply about you. It's because you remind me um, of Snake Eyes and I want to have that living memory um, of Snake Eyes. Um I mean I'm also okay with that because you know, that there's not a lot of time for a big speech here. So you can you can maybe. only do so much. Yeah, maybe she, you know, she, um, instead of saying the two things, you also, you're great friends of mine on her own. She just, she, just <laughs> she just says the one. My last note um, as a general talking point was um, 
just how cool is it to see Ali Viper's shields being used uh, as shields? We, we're sort of using, seeing them used in, in sort of two slightly different ways. Firstly, as kind of a weapon by by Khan in, in those fights against the ninjas. And, and then secondly, when they're, you know, forming a phalanx uh, and sort of using the shields to, to protect themselves from the hail of bullets from the from the Joes and, and sort of drive drive them back. Is uh, yeah, not not really seen uh the, the the kind of the use of the Alley Viper in, in that that way that maybe we envisioned envisioned them uh, originally when we first had them as toys in our youth. Yeah, because they're they're urban pacification, not hallway pacification. <laughs> or uh, laboratory pacification. The thing that strikes me about this issue in, in terms of publishing, not story, is that it is a fill-in issue right before a double-sized anniversary issue. And I don't think we had that around 48, 49, before 50. We did have that before 100. Right. Mark Bright is chugging along mm. and Herb Trimpey draws issue 99 so that Mark Bright can draw the double-sized 100. And I was thinking, oh, well, did this happen around 200? And um, and no, there is a fill-in at 193, but Gallant draws 194 all the way through 200 and well past 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in in sort of a, a an old-fashioned comic book publishing way i i sort of expect this you know it's not it's not that like oh well and, and then you have this added i mean the real reason is because um idw is as our guest tells us getting pressure to like really wrap this up before the end of the year you know to have issue 300 out or is creating sorry it's creating the pressure itself i, I don't know that hasro is saying that to idw but idw's for is 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 saying like we're definitely doing 300 and so we're going to uh, ham our bets and have someone else draw 297. Mm-hmm. But in an old-fashioned sort of way, like when I was first reading comics, this happened a lot. You'd be reading Captain America or, uh, you know, X-Men. And a month or two before the double-sized anniversary issue, someone else would draw an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this, this, that this rhymes a little bit with Trimpy doing 99 for Bright to do 100. I like. And as we said before, you know, the two people drawing this issue are well acquainted with the series, so it's it's nice to have them back. Um the uh the that exchange between uh Diaz and uh Hama. So uh Diaz posts uh the pencils of his splash page and and Hama Hama sort of slightly corrects his uh his uh characterization of of the the sort of how to draw the scene. And Hama says, actually, I gave you the option of working from my allowance or flexing your creative muscles. I would never leave an artist to hang out to dry with a throwaway line, like three more pages of fight. And Diaz says, don't, don't take me wrong, Larry. I love to have the chance to do it. I had a very tight deadline to work on these pages along with another two books I'm working on. So I wouldn't have been able to ask for a layout from you as I have as I have asked before, which is much easier. But I thought if I could create it, I would think about shortcuts to hit the deadline. So I did the splash page. I wish more writers uh, would have this confidence in the art team, uh, actually. Sorry for the confusion, Anhama says. No offense taken. Just wanted to clarify so that other artists don't automatically assume that this is business as usual. I may not have had it totally clear that my, quote, layouts 
are the same as written explanations of choreography and are there only to indicate what the action has to be. Any reinterpretation that improves on the storytelling is always welcome. What you provided above is far better than anything I could have come up with. And Diaz says, thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much, Larry. It means the world coming from you. That was posted on Diaz's Facebook page. Uh, he posted the, the, the plot for page 16 and his pencils for that splash page. Cool. I spy with my little eye. So I spy, I spy Roblox kicking down a, a door again in a very similar way to that he did uh, last issue. So I can also at the same time say I spy a panel that looks very much like the special missions trade paperback. <laughs> <laughs> I spy. Uh, this is this is this is not an homage. This is not a swipe. This is completely inadvertent. It's just a little visual echo. Um, um, panel one of page eleven, which is this slight up angle of Scarlet. So the camera's below Scarlet, but also she's leaning away from us, and she's leaning back against a, a squarish trapezoidal tech thing where the left side is a color and the side facing us is knocked out in black. This panel reminds me of the cover to issue 48, where Zartan is, hmm. camera's a little bit low, camera's at like uh, diaphragm height, looking up slightly at him. He's leaning back a little bit while he's strangling gung-ho. And uh, there is a squarish trapezoidal thing sort of a hallway door wall thing behind Zartan and the left side is a color and the right side is black. Hmm. So that is, that is coincidental. Um, but I looked at this panel and I thought eh, that reminds me of something. That's what it was. Cool. Uh, this isn't my spy, but I'll shout out to Jay James on his tank who says that Genghis Khan reminds me of liver King on YouTube. And he seems to be this social media phenomenon of uh, of this guy with a great big beard and a body made out of solid teak, let's say. Um, so if you if you want to check that out in your own time, uh, Liver King, uh, search if you dare. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Uh, error detected. Anything, no. Tim? No. So I I spotted this one somewhat by accident. I, I was looking back to the last issue, and this is really in the end the detail of errors detected here. In that uh, lovely panel in the C one thirty with uh, all of that great perspective of the vehicles and the Joe sitting down, uh, we have. Uh, the vehicles in the C-130, uh, they're the same ones that we saw going into the C-130 last are they issue. Diff- are, they in a, are they in a different order? They're in the same order. So, oh. you know, very good. Uh, okay. The difference is that the vamp at the oh, front... Oh, it's a vamp two, not a vamp one. Yeah. On the uh, <laughs> last issue, it had a gun uh, on the back of the vehicle, and this time it has got a missile rack. So... 
I think we can no prize this one. So they they went on to the C-130 in a hurry and the uh, configuration of the vamp still had the, the gun turret uh, as it drove up, but uh, they knew they wanted some heavy artillery uh, you know, to, to support them. And, and uh, on the flight, they switched out uh, the, the the gun. Uh, and we'll, we'll no prize this back when the next issue comes out. <laughs> and, and then Gallant's... they changed their mind. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's look out for it next issue. Let's see what, uh, let's see what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a step further. When the cargo bay doors closed, not only did they take the guns off and put the missiles on, they said, I mean, we've got three hours, three and a half hours. Let's paint this Vamp 1 to look like a Vamp 2, since now it's a Vamp 2 with the missiles. So by the end of the flight, they're going to say, you know what? I think we need guns, not missiles. So they're going to put the guns back on and then paint it back. So I do think in the next issue, it'll be it'll be wet paint. <laughs> Who is, uh, which is also the name of uh, <laughs> a new Joe. Wet paint. Okay. Uh, excellent. Yeah, he's he, he's he's a he's a trainer, the GI Joe trainer. Uh, he does paintball back at <laughs> headquarters. Anyway, um, James James Cavanaugh, because <laughs> invent something for wet paint and cosplay as him. Uh, I didn't actually have a hammer time this time. I, I I have one. This is I mean this is more this isn't quite this isn't like jargon, but um. Two panels after that Scarlet panel I just talked about on page 11, Scarlet says, we need to find an exfil route that doesn't involve getting past the advancing Cobras. And Jinx points and says, there's some sort of sump cover on the floor by the DNA tubes. See, all the liquid that spilled out is draining. There's an eddy in the puddle. Hmm. And that is a very Larry Hama thing to... I don't mean right. I mean to figure out that is clever, right? Mm, because it's mm. not just like, oh, there's a there's a manhole covering or, oh, there's a there's a there's a sewer or a basement or a sub basement, right? That either sort of like this, this is sort of a joke, but this is true. Like writing, writing is is a lot of sitting at your desk and staring, just staring off. And you're just thinking, you're just thinking about the thing you've already written or you're sort of playing out scenarios or moving sort of mental chess pieces around. And some of it is like reading the paragraph you just wrote and reacting to it, going in and changing a sentence. But, you know, like you you say to a writer, it's like, well, write faster, write more, write better. It's like, no, sometimes this can't be rushed. And sometimes it looks like you're not getting your money's worth because the writer is just sitting there staring off. But then you maybe come up with something like, huh, well, there's all this green liquid in the tube. And there are only sort of four ways that Joes are going to get out of this room. Out the front door, out the side door, through the ceiling, the roof, right? The air conditioning mm-hmm. ducts or down. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. Well, basement, sub-basement. Like, oh, well, the, li- the liquid, the green liquid. And then Hama gets very specific. All that liquid that spilled out is draining. There's an eddy in the puddle, right? That's smart. Yeah, good. It, very specific language as well. There's sump cover and eddy in the puddle. I I have two sump pumps. Okay. One is under my store in the basement, and one is in the basement of my home. And each has a cover, right? Because, you know, a, a sump pump is just a just like a cylindrical hole in your basement. And if your basement 
floods or if it rains like crazy and the groundwater comes up, it sort of goes there because that's the lowest point in your basement, slightly under your basement. And then you have a pump in it, which like connects to a pipe, which like shoots the water up and out to your the side of your home or apartment building or like out onto the uh, sidewalk, right? And so I remember now you wrote a book about it, Sump Pumps and Me. This sort of thing is my bag, baby, by Tim Finn. <laughs> uh, people, people don't remember this. There was actually a seven-part uh, <laughs> article series on my blog <laughs> at the beginning of arealamericanbook.com all about um, Sump Pumps and Me. So anyway, uh, I like I like this I like this uh, I like this little I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a not a homism. But in terms of, you know, this thing I say, it's like you would not see this line of dialogue in X-Men comics. Mm hmm. Cool. I would have preferred Dawn to have, instead of noticing the, the sump cover, I would have preferred her to have remembered that there was a door that she came through in the first place, which was led to the kitchen. Uh, OK, let's 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 move on, Mark. Don't let it go. Let it go. I think in the same way that there are Joes overhauling a vehicle inside a cargo plane, I think there's a whole team of Cobras that like walled off that doorway mm -hmm. d just as the fight started. So you actually can't get back into the kitchen. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I had a couple of colloquialisms from Larry. The uh, Macedonian phalanx, uh, which was an infantry formation developed by Philip II and used by his son Alexander the Great. That's Philip of Macedonia, hence Macedonian phalanx. Uh, to, and it was used uh, by them as a technique which helped them conquer the Achaemenid Empire and defeat armies of other kingdoms. So, um, you know, uh, I, strangely enough, both Philip and Alexander in the past have been linked to uh, Serpentor, and, and this is a technique of theirs rather than Genghis Khan. The the other thing that caught my eye was this bit of dialogue. In the drainage system, Jinx says, I'm going to so need a shower after this. And Helix says, I'm going to need immersion in an autoclave. Again, very specific uh, technical thing here. Autoclaves provide a physical method for disinfection and sterilization they work with a combination of steam pressure and time operating at high temperature and pressure to kill microorganisms and spores now you know and knowing is half the battle you little twerp going back to the uh mycedonian phalanx phalanx uh it Hama is setting up a joke where Gung Ho says, Alley Vipers, come at us, coming at us like a macaroni and phalange. And phalange, these are these are bones in the fingers, but a phalange is also a phalanx. Yeah. So it's this is sort of a half joke, right? It's it's a what's I forget what the word is. It's one of those words, I think it's one of those words that ends with the letters. O N Y M, not synonym, not antonym, but a word that a word that sounds like another word. You're getting right. a word mixed up for another word. Um, but, but also kind of means the same thing as well at the same time. Uh, gung ho! It, thank you. Gung ho is is getting this only half wrong mm -hmm. because uh, it's not macaroni. Although for all I know, I'm not I'm not googling this the right way. And you know, there is some like macaroni and civilization or like a piece of armor that actually makes this more accurate or some other joke and i'm just thinking that he's making a food reference but. Mm -hmm. macaroni baloney thanks roadblock 
Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week. So much to choose from this issue. Um, <laughs> and of the ones that we've not mentioned so far, what I've gone for is the exchange between Laura and Cobra Commander. Where she she's on uh, like a headset to Cobra Commander. It's all fine, Cobra Commander. Genghis Khan has uh, has the situation under control. <laughs> Cobra Commander just completely out of the the loop, and the the first of he hears of this whole thing is just over the radio. Um, I was going to pick that one too. Yeah, uh, you know, we didn't talk yet about uh, um, Cobra actually. I'll, I'll I'll pick a nor Duke's one panel appearance <laughs> in the issue. It's, this issue's got everything. I'll 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 pick a different favorite line. <laughs> Roadblock says, "Good afternoon, Cover Commander." <laughs> what? What are Joe's doing strolling through my casino? <laughs> yeah, a great bit of comedy that page. <laughs> um, I you know this is where again I sort of go back and forth. Like, well, Cover Commander is an international terrorist and he, is, he, he has murdered people and he has started, if not wars, then battles. And I don't think he's going to pull out a pistol and shoot these Joes because they have weapons too. Although there's a different version of this where he does that and they don't fire back because he's actually standing in front of bystanders, right? And he's sort of trying to go legit here. Um, so I was as I read this, I thought, is this too funny? Is this too <laughs> diffused? Is he not, um, you know, evil enough? The joke is that the Joes need to get out. Like, not the joke. The logic of this is that, it's like, no, these three Joes need to successfully cross the casino and go outside. And they do. Mm. Well, uh, Cobra Commander is still schmoozing inside. This, this, this time he's not. He's. <laughs> not i mean he's not bigging up you know, the the dip like it's uh it's the complimentary floor show the you know like some star you know like every other star wars show and movie some rebellion people disguise themselves and infiltrate some uh em- empire or first order base or ship you know and it's like the version where like luke and leia and han are like walking out they like wave to darth vader like Good afternoon, Darth Vader. And Darth Vader like doesn't immediately draw his lightsaber and, you know, go after them. So, uh, you know, this is this is Hama's take on Cobra Commander, who is mean and evil and terrible, but not not always. Sometimes he's, uh, you know, defanged or distracted. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. Uh, let's should we give this a score? Yo, Joe, time. Seven. Yeah, I think I'll go seven and a half. Really enjoyed it. Just a lot of fun. Um, as I say, bonkers. Lots of good storytelling from Andrew Lee Griffith, juggling a lot of characters and weapons and costumes, and in one or two panels, vehicles. A a welcome guest appearance uh, from from Nitho Diaz. Um, uh, I, I like his two pages um, after after his splash page. I don't love them, but uh, I like them. And since I knew going in with with the plot, he you know he'd just make up the fight, just have them fight. Oh, something I didn't mention: uh, someone uses a frag viper's grenade. And as a kid, I was always I thought grenades were cool as a kid and sort of you know army military gear. And I was always a little disappointed 
I liked it that Joes and Cobras had grenades sculpted onto their, you know, torsos. And when the Frag Viper came out, I think by the, the Frag Viper is 89. I think by then I'd already bought a, a uh, disarmed grenade at our army surplus store. Oh, wow. Right. Like that was really cool. And also it made it to a Halloween costume. And, you know, we didn't, my brother and I, he had one too. We didn't do anything with it. He didn't run around the neighborhood or scare people with it. It was just a cool <laughs> thing to have in my sort of like junk box. But um, when the Alley Viper, excuse me, Frag Viper was released, um, not only is there a tube that seems to, in the story, in the fantasy, like vacuum suck a grenade, a live grenade from his backpack reservoir of grenades into his crazy throwing claw, right? Um, and in the in that backpack are there little bits of grenades sculpted sort of within the, the space of the backpack. But he has three individual grenades sculpted that stick onto the top or bottom of his backpack that you can then put into his crazy claw and you can actually kind of hurl or fake hurl. And they're not really scaled for G.I. Joe hands. They're a little too big, but close enough. They're 120, 115% larger than scale life size. So here, <laughs> you know, like, I don't see Hama all that often being this specific about someone's costume, sort of what it does. You know, it's like, no, well, like a frag viper could pick up like a, a, a regular viper's machine gun if they needed to. Or like a Joe drops their gun and picks up someone else's gun. And it's like, what's well, this specific kind of machine gun? And here, Genghis Khan is pulling those two grenades off those two prongs off of the frag viper's actual sort of toy accurate uh, backpack. And then you have this joke where, anyway, seven. <laughs> cool. Uh, excellent. So I'll just say that last episode, we introduced the new quiz, Serpent Or, um, uh, and we're running a little bit long today. So uh, let's put that one uh, to uh, another show. It will, it will return. Um, so next time on Talking Joe, we will be covering the latest issue uh, of a real American hero as it comes out. So the next one will be ARA 298. So 298 is currently due for 21st of September. So uh, a little under a month. Yeah, sort of a, you know, as we're seeing, like, like almost a three weekly uh, schedule at the, the moment. So look forward to that. And uh, as always, you can find us in between uh, doing other things like talking about the Devil's Jew era. Uh, Tim, where can people find you? Video essays at uh, our YouTube page, Atomic Abe Productions. My comic book store in Somerville, Massachusetts is Hub Comics and... On the internet, I am at a realamericanbook.com. Very good. You can find more about the show at the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that links to all of those places, like Facebook, where uh, lots of people have been joining this last week. So uh, welcome to all of the new members there. Some good discussions on Twitter, on Instagram, and all of that good stuff, including Patreon. So big thanks to our backers, 
Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, Rob, and our latest Patreon subscriber, a real American, Brian. He's selling out now, Tim. Uh, they are getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. So that is us done. But remember that... Nobody beats Talking Joe, an international podcast! Laters!